Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this podcast for College Success Formula members. I'm Tom Bodorf, co-founder of College Success Formula, and the title of tonight's podcast is What Student Athletes Need to Know. My special guest tonight is Katie Anderson. Now, Katie is a private college counselor right here in our lovely town of Dana Point, California, and she's the founder of College Fit. She works one-on-one with student athletes to help them identify best fit schools as well as guiding them through the college application process and athletic recruiting. Now, Katie understands how this process works from her own personal experience as a Division I soccer player at Duke University. Well, thanks for joining us tonight, Katie, and welcome. Great. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Okay, Katie, let's start off with some fundamentals. Uh, First of all, is it possible to play college sports if a student hasn't been contacted by a college coach? Well, so a college coach, um, you know, we've got lots of different levels of, of coaches and programs. You've got Division One programs, Division Two programs, Division Three programs, and that's just in the NCAA. Then you've also got uh, NAIA schools, and they're all offering athletics at various levels. Now, you want to be... Uh, you want to contact those coaches in advance, but realize that recruiting happens, you know, at many different um, uh, athletic levels. Um, Uh And what I mean by that is that you don't have to be a blue chip athlete. You don't have to be getting the big giant athletic scholarship in order to get recruited. Um, You know, there are lots of kids who might be playing um, for their varsity team at a high school. They might only be playing club sports. you know, those, those players and those athletes, it's also possible for them to get recruited. So, um, and you don't have to be all state and all County and all of that. Also sure. there's, there's, you know, from an athletic, uh, uh, competition level, there's the lower end of division one. There's also a lower end of division two and a lower end of division three. So realize depending on what your goals are athletically and academically, if you really, really want to play your sport for a division one, uh, program, um, but you aren't getting, interest at the top, top level, look towards the bottom end of the division one in terms of the rankings, in terms of how those schools athletic programs are ranked. Um, but you do have to, you do have to contact those schools and let them know that you're interested. And if you don't get recruited, you can always go as a walk-on. That's always a possibility. You know, now talking about these divisions in the NCAA, um, as we all know, division three colleges don't offer athletic scholarships, but with that in mind, should an exceptional athlete consider D three schools perhaps? Absolutely. Um, Division three, uh, some division three programs might be able to compete and beat division one programs even, Um, you know, depending on the sport, depending on uh, especially the sport. There are some sports where division three schools might be better than division one. But division three is great for very bright athletes who have great grades that gives them it opens the most doors in terms of being able to get a merit award that would even rival an athletic scholarship in many cases, because sure. it's as, as often as people throw around the word athletic scholarship, it's very hard to get a full ride, especially sure. in a sport that is not basketball or football. If you're outside of those two sports, it is very, very, very difficult to get a full ride. So if you're a smart uh, student with great grades and great test scores, you might have a better possibility of being a really top athlete at Division three school and playing every minute of every game for all your years you're there. 
there and getting some decent money out of those schools because they're interested in you being a student. Good, good point. Now, now when should a student start contacting college coaches and visiting the schools, you know, the colleges of choice? So the best time to start this process is really the second semester of your sophomore year. Okay. Um, ideally, that is the best time to start. That means you've got a couple of semesters on your academic transcript, so you kind of know what kind of student you are in high school. Um, it also gives you time to prepare a, um, a recruiting video as well as a one-page athletic profile, which is essentially your resume, your athletic and academic resume that you're going to be sending to colleges, college coaches. Uh -huh. So it gives you time to pull all those materials together and then figure out which schools might be the best place to start. Um, if you st are starting this process in your junior year, it's fine. You're going to do all the same things. You just have a less time to do it. And by, by starting there at the end of your sophomore year, you're giving yourself some space and time to pull the materials together, attend some camp camps, get on some college campuses and kind of see what feels right to you. Um, the more time, the better. Time is on your side. If you're starting this process in your senior year, you're still going to do all the same things. You just have way less time to do it. And not only that, but you've given up the amount of time. The, all the kids who started earlier have the advantage of possibly getting a scholarship or getting at least commitment from a coach that they wanted to recruit that student athlete. And they've already blocked that spot on their roster. So by starting your senior year, you're it's not impossible. You're just a little late to the game. So start early, get all your ducks in a row get all these documents and videos and things that you need. And don't be afraid of contacting those coaches. If the coaches are interested, there's, they have limited ability to be able to write back to you when you're so young. But here's the thing. As a sophomore, you can write to those coaches. You can call those coaches. Ah. You can visit those coaches on their college campuses and take full advantage of what's called an unofficial visit. Oh, okay. and, and you can have an open conversation with a coach at that point um, but you just have to, it's all about who contacts whom. <laughs> I see. You know, that's I see. The, the NCAA regulates uh -huh. the coach's ability to write back to you or to call you or to talk to you, but it doesn't regulate your ability to talk to them. So that's how okay. you can play this game a little um, and, and just get a head start on getting your, getting your um, face and your, uh, your academics and your athletics in front of those coaches and starting a conversation early. Oh, good to know. You know, Katie, I, I get a lot of questions from families that come in, to, you know, for some college counseling, and and parents hear different things in terms of providing information to schools unsolicited. What, what, what's your opinion on that? Are you saying they should send you know, like like videos and resumes and so forth, even if they've not been contacted first by the by the college? Absolutely, you cannot sit around and wait for a college coach ah, to contact you. Okay. I when I went through this process back in the eighties. I, uh, I worked with a, together with a college counselor who knew very little about athletic recruiting, <laughs> but even then his advice to me was, and I would give the same advice to all my students today, which is you need to take charge of this process and you do not wait around for a college coach to contact you ah. because think about all the, when I show kids this, the list of schools, I have a map that I show them. It's collegemaps.com. Uh -huh. I use this map to demonstrate how few coaches there are in the Western United States huh. or how, how few, uh, sorry, how few schools there are in the Western United States compared to the Eastern Back United East, sure. States. 
Yes. And if you just look at that and you look at uh, many of those schools back East are smaller schools, many of them D3 schools with very small budgets. They are not sending their coaches out to watch ah. you at a showcase tournament in Las Vegas. Sure. They don't have the budget for that. They don't yeah. have the budgets that the big D1 programs have to send their, their, their assisted coaches out on recruiting trips all over the country. So the only way that you are going to get noticed, if you say you want to go play uh, tennis at Allegheny, the best way to get noticed is to contact that coach with your recruiting video and introduce yourself. Um, you're not harassing these coaches. They get these emails <laughs> all day long, but they, they won't know about you unless they see you play and, they, and seeing you on a recruiting video gets them at least an, a level of interest that says, yeah, that's a kid I'd like to speak to. I want to know more about her. Or him. That, that, um, that's a real point of confusion for families. Some, some families are told don't ever contact anyone unsolicited. And you're saying that's not good advice. <laughs> not, no, I, I completely disagree with yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Really, truly, especially Makes if you're, sense. And when I make the point about West Coast and East Coast, there are, I mean, there are so many schools. When I talk to my, I'm obviously I'm with you in California. So when I talk to kids about schools back East that they've never heard of before, <laughs> I, and I, and I said, well, how, how are those coaches ever going to know about you unless you tell them about yourself? Sure. Maybe you have an interest in going to some small school in Ohio because you've got family back there and you're really interested in that small liberal arts education. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many reasons why kids want to travel to many different places. I personally came from Irvine, California and contacted um, Duke University, Brown University, oh, Notre wow. Dame, Northwestern. Those schools never would have known about me had I not been proactive and contacted them for myself. So you're speaking so from experience, your personal I am experience. I'm speaking from personal experience. Yeah, and, yeah. and um, you know, so, so yes, you have to be, uh, uh, I want to say aggressive, more proactive yeah. um, in presenting yourself. And don't give up after the first time either. It's so important that you realize that this might take a couple of attempts at sending out your information. Um, you know, there are, there are prime times when you want to send your contact information to a coach. Definitely, I mean, there's there's no one best time to introduce yourself. You uh -huh. can do that whenever you decide, okay, I'm ready to dive in on this and I'm ready to do it. But c prior to a big showcase tournament, prior to a big CIF event, prior to you know a camp that you're attending, those are all key times when you want to make sure a coach is aware that you will be on their campus. You will be attending this camp. Your team is going to JOs in, you know, wherever that's located in the Junior Olympics. Uh -huh. um, so make sure that those coaches are aware that you're there and that they're looking out for you. Again, you, there are thousands of kids at these camps. There right. are so many. If you don't make a point of saying, I, you know, here, here's who I am and I'd love to meet you, um, you know, and taking advantage of um, an unofficial visit. I have lots of kids. In fact, I've got some great success stories of, of kids who said, do I really need to fly back to Chicago to, to go to that campus? And I, one student was, in fact, a, a volleyball player. And he just wasn't sure about whether, you know, this was the right thing for him. And I right. said, you know what? Their, but their program is number one in the country. If they love you, everybody else is going to love you. <laughs> so, so make the effort, go back there, learn about their school. And in fact, he ended up going to, uh, to a school back there, that, that particular school, because, uh, because of making the effort to go on an unofficial visit and meeting the coaches, walking around their campus, learning about their program, especially certain sports like water polo, volleyball, they, and swimming and, mm -hmm. uh, tennis, golf, you know, our, here in Southern California, we have such a hotbed of sports, especially right. those uh, those kind of sports that 
other places in the country love to recruit Southern California athletes. Sure. Um, you know, it, just like it is recruiting, uh, say, lacrosse, which is such a popular sport on the East Coast, mm-hmm. our West Coast schools love to be able to recruit East Coast players because right. they know they grew up playing lacrosse. So, you know, we have advantages on on each of our coasts that we can, if the kids are paying attention, they can they can take advantage of that. So marketing really is an important part of this whole element of, of recruiting. I mean, you've got to market yourself in many cases. Yes, you are. You are definitely self-promotion. I realize a very difficult thing for a lot of kids, especially when they have to talk to it's one thing when you're just throwing your video up on the Internet. A lot of kids, (laughs) I feel like it's it's fine when they just send it out there to the world. But yet, when it comes to trying to impress a coach, it's a whole different story. Kids get nervous. They don't know how to, um, you know, even simple things like shaking someone's hand and looking them in the eye and, right. and practicing how how to introduce yourself and yeah. how to have an interview, mm-hmm. essentially, if you were in a conversation with a coach. Um, those are all things that I practice with my students. That's because great. I, we, we practice a script. And the script is simply there as a guideline. At first, the kids need the word-by-word script. And then after they've done it a few times, it becomes a little bit easier. They start winging it. Um, <laughs> they start winging it. And it's okay. Like I, I, I oftentimes will do practice sessions with them on the phone where I'll say, um, you know, okay, I'm going to be the coach and you're going to be yourself. And I'm going to just ask you a few of these questions. And I want you to think about how you're going to respond if a coach asks you a really broad general question. How can you narrow that down to the focus that you want? What are the three things you want that coach to know about you? Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the elevator speech. If you're caught right. in an elevator with a coach and all you have is from floor 10 to floor, to floor <laughs> one to tell him something interesting about you that might want to convince him to have a further conversation, what is it you're going to say? So we try to, you know, those are all uh, skills that sure. athletes and some kids are really good at it and other kids just need more practice. They've never had to do it before. Um, especially shy kids who maybe aren't so good at um, being that promotional, loud. <laughs> and not that right. you need to be loud, but you need to. But having a little self confidence goes a long way. Not the time for uh, massive humility. <laughs> no, no, and and also and yeah, and being selective in what it is you say, and um, yeah, just keeping keeping things positive, and focused on the future and your goals, and you know, showing that you yep. put thought into what it is you want for your future. That's Got really it. important. Oh, g- great nuggets there. Wow. Now, now, how many schools should a student contact, and what specifically should they send to the coaches once they've identified these schools? So I like to start with about 50 to 75 schools. Wow. Now, I know that that sounds ridiculously <laughs> like a lot of schools, and I will even say that I oftentimes, if especially it's a first introduction or if I really think that a kid has a high likelihood of getting a lot of interest because they're playing for a really top club team or something like that, I'll have them write one-on-one, you know, dear coach Johnson, dear coach Smith, one-on-one emails to those coaches rather than sending with the coach email address in the blind copy section. Sometimes you can do that, but you find that a lot of the um, – the email uh, servers will block you as spam if you start doing that too sure. frequently. So it's better to just write a one-on-one letter to the coach. Um, make sure it's a little bit personalized so that the coach knows that you put some effort into, you know, contacting them. A no, letter um, or an email or both? Uh, sorry, an email. An uh, email? I, I only send uh, have my kids send email. Oh, All okay. the coaches are using email today. Um, I would say the one time you do want to send a letter, though, is a thank you note. Ah, 
a handwritten thank you note goes a long way. Sure. As and it's just again, it's one of those things that most kids don't do today because That's everything right. is text message and email. So to <laughs> to do the handwritten thank you note is very nice. They stand but, apart for yeah, the pack. So yep. To go back to the the list of schools to pick, I I the way I break down my lists. I choose um, with almost every one of my kids, even if they aren't a top Division One athlete. I'm going to choose a selection of Division One schools, Division Two schools, Division Three, and depending on their interest in NAIA, I might throw some of those schools on there too. Um, again, it all depends on the student, their grades, their interest in the kind of school that they're that they really want to attend. Um, but to say 50 to 75 schools total, and the goal with that, with having so many schools on there, is you need to find out the number one priority during your sophomore and junior year is to figure out what schools are going to be interested in you. Sure. You need to know where you're a good fit from an athletic perspective. Now, academically, what I do is within Division One and Two and Three. I will also provide information about what is the general population, what's the acceptance rate at that school? What is the SAT and ACT range? What is the average GPA? What what is the average student look at like at that school? Because I am a firm believer believer that as a student goes off to become uh, a student athlete on a college campus, they have to be able to compete academically, sure. especially at Division three schools. Those coaches cannot. You have to be able to get in on your own academic record at a uh -huh. Division three school. Those coaches have very little pull in the athletic uh, and, and admissions departments. So um, you really need to look like the average student on paper sure. <laughs> at those schools. So you're going to contact them. You're going to email. You're going to email them. Your you can send an initial letter just to introduce yourself. You want to give them your GPA, your test scores. You want to tell them who, which school or which uh, either high school or club team you're playing for. You want to tell them a little bit about your height. Uh, you know, again, some of your um, your stats that might sta make you stand out above and beyond. Um, for example, I had a high jumper I worked with a few years ago who was number two in the state of California, and all it took was her GPA, her test scores, and the height that she jumped. Didn't even have to tell him how tall she was. <laughs> And she had, within 24 hours, responses coming back from almost all the Ivy League schools, wow. a number of really top D3 schools, just based on a few key stats. We wow. hadn't even sent him their videos. We hadn't even sent her profile yet. Uh -huh. It was just a few key stats. So, again, depending on who you are as an athlete, if you're not that superstar athlete, you might have to work a little harder at finding the things that make you unique. Um you know, oftentimes, especially at, at smaller schools where those coaches don't have uh, a top ranked program, uh -huh. Uh -huh. you know, they're looking for kids who genuinely want to go to their school. <laughs> right. Sure. And who can, of course, add value on their on their athletic team. Mm -hmm. um, but they but it also means something for those coaches that it, that they, when they recruit a student, that that student is going to be happy as a student athlete at that school and want to stay for four stay years. Stay there. Sure. And that's a really big deal. Um, so, you know, you just have to find out what, what makes the most sense at each school and how you want to approach them. But you do. You have to do uh, an initial mailing. And what you're going to send them is your athletic profile, your one-page athletic profile. If you just Google the term athletic profile, you will find a whole bunch of sample things that people have put together. Oh, it's great. just like a resume. Uh -huh. And I also, um, you can follow up in a second mailing with your recruiting video. So depending on what kind of response, you might only get a 10 or 15% response. And that's why I say contact 50 to 75 schools. If you only get a 10 to 15% response on your email, then 
you know, you don't have that many schools to work with. <laughs> that 50 so, to 70 starts funneling down yeah, very quickly. Yeah, it funnels down very, <laughs> very quickly. And I'll, another thing I'll do is I'll go through that 50 to 75 list and I will highlight the schools where I really feel like, okay, academically, I'm a no-brainer for this school. Like, they should love me. <laughs> and athletically, I might, you know, I'm, I should be generally a pretty good fit. If I can come up with five or six of those type of schools uh -huh. Uh -huh. out of the full list, then those are the people I try to really make an effort to send the second or third email, fill out their questionnaire online. All these athletic programs have online questionnaires. Oftentimes the coaches will write back to you and say, thanks so much for your email. Fill out our online questionnaire. I see. You know, the online questionnaire is important because it puts you in that school system. Uh -huh. um, it gets you in their database. And so it's, it is, you know, you should absolutely go ahead and do those things. Um, but unless you establish a pretty firm, like get a, a clear response back from a coach saying, we would love to recruit you. We would love to keep talking to you. We want updates on what it is you're doing. Those are all signals that a coach is genuinely interested in following you. If you get the, thanks so much for your, for your letter and fill out our questionnaire, that's a bit of a response without a response. Right. <laughs> Generally speaking, that's not to say that they won't talk to you later, but it, it is not a... It's not the ideal response you want. That's not, that does not mean that you're getting recruited. That just means thanks so much. You know, yep. Yep. We'll put you on our mailing list. <laughs> <laughs> so. and, my, and my next question is something that a lot of kids aren't too jazzed about. And, and that's a backup plan. You know, what, what about a backup plan? Should student athletes have, you know, some type of non-athletic backup plan as they're building this college list? Absolutely. I, every single one of my student athletes, I make them form a list of schools where they are planning to apply as a regular student because you have no idea what could happen between the time that you start this recruiting process and when it is you hit the submit button on those applications. Right. I've had too many students come in to me during the fall of their senior year. Yeah, I just destroyed my knee. I'm having surgery next week. I'm no longer a student athlete. I don't, you know, I'm just uh. out. I'm done. Well, what do you do if it's November of your senior year and you didn't have a backup plan and right. you didn't apply to any colleges because you didn't think that was ever going to happen to you and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> do you find so, that stu do students tend to push back on on that a bit, uh, the backup plan that, I have that you not work with? Had, no. I, I, oh, well, good. It might be because I tell them up front before <laughs> we even start this process that this will be part of what they do. Um, I, it is just, you know, too often. I've even had kids go on official visits and have coaches call them the following week to say, you know, thanks so much for coming on the official visit, but I'm changing jobs. Oh, wow. And again, what do you do? You just went on, like the coach is offering you a scholarship to the school you are currently at. And he's now telling you that, and if you really, if one of the reasons, one of the main reasons you want to go to that school is because of the coach. Right. And now you find out the coach will not be there. In fact, you don't even know who the coach is because they've assigned some interim coach and then, sure. you know, they might hire someone, they might make an assistant coach and a head coach. You have no idea. So you've got to have a backup plan that gives you flexibility to decide what you want for yourself and does not lock you in unless you've signed a national letter of intent. So if you get offered a scholarship and you've signed a national letter of intent, then you are committed for one academic year to the school that you signed with, even if the coach leaves. I see. So that that's a, a deal breaker. But if yeah. prior to that, if you haven't signed that letter, you know, there's still some flexibility in there. If things change, if someone gets hurt, a coach leaves a job, you know, whatever, 
Um, or even a family, it could just be as simple as a family, maybe a parent gets sick or something where you just feel like, you know, what, what was true for me yesterday is no longer true for me. And I need to have, I need to shift the way I'm doing these things. You just give yourself options all the way up to the very end. You know, now when, when students are offered scholarships, um, are, there's a bit of confusion on this, uh, that I hear from families. Is there such a thing as a guaranteed you know, four-year scholarship, or is it always on a, a year-to-year basis in case there's you know an injury or, or something else happens? Right. So there are um, some programs. Some uh, I, I mostly hear about this in football, uh-huh. where they can they have that flexibility to give a, a four-year scholarship, but that's only going to be for their blue chip top, top, top athletes. Okay. They're not offering that to everybody. I see. Um, most. Uh, for the average national letter of intent, that is an annual one year at a time renewable uh, scholarship. I see. So on a year by year basis, that time frame will come up and you'll have to have that discussion with your coach every single year about ah. what's happening the following year. It could be increased. It could be decreased. It could disappear. It could, I mean, there's, that's up for the coach and you take that risk going into that, knowing that, right. but it is, it is very, very, very hard to get a four year a guarantee, you know, essentially. Guarantee, yeah. So yeah. don't ever plan on that. In fact, scholarship money when it comes to athletics, that's another reason why I really uh, encourage kids to not um, kind of look down their nose at Division three schools. Often right. I, get the eye, I get the eye roll <laughs> <laughs> when I say, you really need to look at Division three schools. And I, I find that so frustrating because here's the thing. If you as a student athlete go into this process and you are committed, say you you go to a division, you choose to go to a division three school and you're there for a year, you're there for two years and you go, you know, I, I've, I've done, I've played, I've had every amazing experience, but I'm really want to focus my attention and my energy on my academics, but I'm so but I'm getting merit money. Well, guess what? That merit money is attached to your academics. It's not attached to your athletics. So if you decide to leave the team anytime while you're there, it's not going to affect the amount of money that you're getting. If, if every, if the reason you have attended a school is because of an athletic scholarship that you've decided you don't want to play anymore. And all of a sudden that athletic scholarship is going to go away. Can you afford to be at that school without that athletic scholarship? That's a really big question. And something I, I, it's, Not many kids, that's one I find that kids don't want to think about that. They don't want to project two or three years down the line and even think about the possibility of not playing their sport. Right. But I can speak with all certainty that it, it happened to me. I played at Duke for two years. I was not getting any scholarship money, which made it a little easier decision for me because uh-huh. it wasn't, you know, my attendance at that school was not linked to money. But, um, and this again was a long time ago, so it was not these $70,000 <laughs> whatever it is today. But, but I will say that at the end of two years and I had, you know, I had, I had, uh, had an amazing experience, but I wanted to go and study abroad and I wanted to get an internship and I wanted to get a job and I wanted to do all these things. And I had two years left to do it. And I just decided, you know what, it's time for me to move on. And so when I did that, um, you know, all my friends who stayed for four years, they didn't get to do and study abroad. They didn't get to work for the school newspaper. They didn't get to get any of those things right, that sure. I got to do when I was there. So sure. I kind of had that balance, and I so I can speak at it, you know, speak to that from from both sides of that fence for sure. So it really is important to to select the school not just based on their you know their sport of choice, but but really where it is a good fit college in case that were to you know fall by the wayside or they just change their mind. They want to make sure that they can succeed 
in that college, it'll be a great four-year experience, even you know, with or without the sport. Yes, absolutely. And by success, you also have to think about, you know, depending on what the student wants to study. Oftentimes when I'm talking to kids who clearly have an interest in going on for a master's degree at some point, I, I tell them, I say, you know, you really need to think about coming out of your undergrad with a strong GPA because that's the GPA that's sure. going to matter when you apply to, ma to your master's program. Right. If you've gone somewhere where you are like barely scraping by academically because you've chosen this really hardcore academic school, um, don't be surprised when you get there and realize that you are not the smartest kid. You might have been the smartest kid coming out of your high school, but you are no longer the smartest kid. You might be average right. or, or less than average <laughs> right. at some of these places. And that will affect. Now, granted, the school name car you know, carries a lot of weight, but you really you might find that you get some additional opportunities at some smaller schools or at a slightly less competitive school where you are one of their brightest students. Maybe you're in the honors. I mean, one thing I, I love telling kids about is the honors colleges. You know, as a as a student athlete, um, you know, I haven't had any student athletes yet who have also been in an honors college program, but that's something to to think about. Um, if you are are uh, are capable academically of of uh, kind of competing at that, maybe there's some way to combine those interests. Um, that set you up for success later down the line because ac eventually athletics for most of us normal mortals in the world, we are not going on to play professional sports. Right. Um, and Very so few. you really do need to think about what your academics will do for you when you get out of college and, and how you can help yourself move forward and become a contributing member of society. So, <laughs> you know, we have seen such an incredible uh, focus uh, and emphasis on athletics here in the last you know, few years of our business as well, where you can see that parents and students often are, I mean, the focus is the sport. And in many cases, I think they have aspirations of going into the pros, but they've never seen the stats on the way this funnel actually works. And even the number of D1 athletes that make it into you know, a, a truly professional sport as a profession. I mean, the funnel is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is not at all. I mean, you really... Um... And, and even for those, I, I've had soccer players who have gone off and said, you know, I want to play pro in, in Europe. And I said, well, that's great, but you're not going to make any money doing that. Right. That's right. <laughs> so I'm sure it's a lovely experience yes. <laughs> and wonderful. But, but when you get there and you realize, uh, you know, what, what other things you might be interested down, you know, further down the line, right. You're going to have to weigh those options. And, you know, for some people so, you know, their sport is their life. Um, you know, something else I kind of tell student athletes and I certainly experienced this, the minute I decided to leave play, you know, playing my sport, it was a really rough day. Oh, really? <laughs> that was a really, really rough day for me, but it opened up all these other doors to things I had never done before. I had yeah. never, um, I had, I was never a swimmer in terms of like swimming laps and working out that way. I had never tried yoga before. <laughs> <laughs> There are lots of sports. I was a soccer player, so so playing a new sports, picking. I'm I'm athletic. Like you know, I I had the girls on the volleyball team. Hey, saying, hey, come out for volleyball. <laughs> you know, or I had people approaching me and saying, hey, how would you like to coach my kids' team? You know, coaching is something. If you've been playing your sport your whole life, giving back to a, a younger community through coaching is sure, also sure. a gift, right? That's that's something that. You know, as an athlete, you don't ever think that um, at the end of this road, you're giving up athletics because for the most part, you will always have athletics in your life one way or another. So, 
you know, they, these are all yep. discussions I have with my student athletes because oftentimes they're not, sometimes they're not sure about whether they want to even go down this path of recruiting because they're not really sure about where it's going to end up. Right. And I say, you know what, let's go down. Let's see what, what we can get out of this. And you can always decide further down the line that you want to just focus on being a student. And that is fine. And that does not change anything about the way we operate. And that's how every student athlete should approach this process because you just never know. So, and that's a good skill to learn as a growing adult is how to give yourself options no matter what happens to you in life. Um, never just putting all your eggs in one basket and, and giving up some, maybe some backup plans that might also be important for you. Plan B is always important and often a plan C and a plan D as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. We've covered some great material today. Thank you for that. Do you have any final advice you'd like to, to share with everyone, Katie? Um, I think the most important thing in getting started is just feeling confident that you are, in fact, doing the right thing by putting together a profile and a recruiting video uh -huh. and, and starting the process. If you don't ever start, you're never actually going to finish. <laughs> right, right. So, and if you sit there and you kind of feel uh, stagnant, you feel like you're, you're, uh, you're not able to get started because the fear of the unknown there's no harm in sending messages out. And if you get a couple responses back, hey, that's a start in the right direction. Sure. Um, it gives you more information to go on. So mm -hmm. um, don't be afraid to get started. Do not listen. You know, I think another very important piece of advice is that many of these I see uh, happen all the time on club teams, um, no, independent of the sport. Um, there are always going to be parents who are very, very, they're very tuned into what an athlete recruit, you know, athletic pro recruiting process looks like. Uh -huh. They are, they started it there when their kid was in seventh grade, <laughs> they're very, uh, um, they feel that they need to be constantly contacting coaches every week. And, and you just, you have to focus on what's right for you. And, um, you can sense when you're getting a good result and you can also sense when you're not getting any result and you need to just do what's right for you and do not listen to the the uh, the chaos that can happen on some of those competitive teams because of super uber competitive um mostly parents but sometimes kids sure <laughs> um it's really it's it's a very important um thing to remember is just do what feels right for you and don't worry about it if if uh this doesn't maybe turn out the way that you want um there are lots of remember that there are always options moving down the line for for just straight academics and you can also look at playing club and playing intramurals uh -huh. in college. That's another way to stay active and stay, you know, enjoy your sport, just not doing it as a varsity recruited athlete. I see. Well, Katie, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. This was some really great information for families with student athletes that they really need to be aware of. And if anyone has any questions, how can they best contact you? The best way to contact me is through my website. Uh, it's www.collegefitoc.com. And I have a contact form there, and you can write to me. Um, so that's the best way to contact me. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, I also want to thank you, College Success Formula members, for joining us tonight. Uh, whether you're listening to us uh, live this evening or perhaps a recording at a later date. And I do encourage you to visit Katie's website. That's www.collegefitoc, as in Orange County, collegefitoc.com. And you'll be sure to find some great information there. Okay, so as always, we're here to help you succeed as you plan for your children's college, and you can contact us at support at collegesuccessformula.com. So until next time, take care, 
College planning success to you, and may God bless. Good night.